You can't replace part of the brain. Like, you treat them the same. The source of truth for the medtech industry. Coexists with the province. Robot understands things automatically. Number one show in the medtech industry. So Stryker got ahead of that and changed in the 90s, built a billion dollar company that helped apply a lot of things. State of medtech with your host, Omar M. Khatib. What's going on, everybody? And this Friday solo pod is actually not a solo pod. It's a guest appearance I had recently on one of my good friends' podcast, the Medical Sales Accelerator podcast, was put on by Zed Williamson and Clark Riederhold over at Trackable Med. So in this episode, we kind of talk about really what's wrong with med tech marketing and sales, um, as I usually like to sort of rant on that. But also, I provide some insights as to what I think the future of that looks like. So you're really going to enjoy this episode dive in, take a look. And before we do, quick couple shout outs to a couple of great sponsors. Number one is Clary. If you're a sales leader and you use Salesforce, you have to get Clary. Clary protects your investment by essentially automating all the data that goes into Salesforce. If you're a rep listening to this and that makes you happy, hey, go and learn more about Clary. Go to clari.com or click the show notes below to learn more about their life science offering. Aside from automating data that goes into Salesforce for sales leaders and marketing leaders, they essentially make revenue a collaborative process where you govern it across the organization. What that means is that they take their data and using AI, help you predict pipeline, figure out which deals you need to focus on more and a whole lot more. So go to clary.com to learn more. And finally, if you're a medical sales rep and you're looking to raise your standards, you're really ready to elevate the game and start doing digital selling. A lot of CEOs and recruiters are looking for people who know how to sell remotely using social media and promote product awareness. I put together a great course, a very well-known course called the Medical Sales Network Effects Program that teaches you how to use digital sales channels, how to use LinkedIn to sell, how do you email right? How do you uh, understand persuasion? All that and more. Plus, we have a private group where a lot of times I put job postings, a lot of exciting uh, opportunities, and we do uh, live coaching calls. To get a great discount on that, because you're a listener of this podcast, check the show notes below and learn more or go to digitalmedicalsales.com, okay? And use the code Presence Club Podcast. So with that being said, let's get on to our episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Medical Sales Accelerator Podcast. I'm Zed Williamson. And I'm Clark Wiederhold. This podcast exists to put scale to the value you get from those great one-to-one -one conversations, typically at conferences and sales meetings. This might shock you, but there are organizations where sales does not respect marketing. And that's why we're speaking with our guest today, Omar Khatib. Omar, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Gentlemen, great to be back on the show. I'm doing well. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Now, I know... You are the host of the State of MedTech podcast, which right now is the most downloaded and reviewed MedTech podcast. And I feel like our audience should be shamed that they have not reviewed our podcast at a level where it hey, takes yours. To be to be fair, to be quite fair, I have a I have a much broader audience. And hey, look, number one, number one MedTech show with the number one medical sales show because by because I did do the research on all this because I wanted to keep tabs on everything for medical sales. Uh the medical sales accelerator podcast stands like it's it's a far number one. I don't know who number two is, but it's like not not that high. So like your audience is doing a great, great job. I think the only reason why I got my number so high is that it's such a broad show because we have investors, we have physicians, we have salespeople, marketers. I had Martin Shkreli on my show. So it's just like, you know, 
we, it's a no holds barred kind of show, you know? No, I hear you. I still want to beat you. So, uh, all right, game on, man. <laughs> but also, tell us a little bit about uh, Katib and Company. Yeah, yeah. Simply put, you know, Katib and Co, Katib and Co exists for with for one mission, which is to change how we sell and market in the industry. And what that means is that our belief is that to drive product adoption and commercialization in the new and modern day. You have to create dynamic and engaging content and use digital channels such as social media to not only market your product, but also to commercialize. That means selling, right? That's our belief because to be quite frank, the way that med tech companies used to commercialize in the past doesn't work anymore and it's highly expensive. And I've gone on stage at LSI and other investors. Sometimes and I've told VCs and investors, do not write a check to a single CEO or founder if their first thing that they're going to do is say, we're going to hire a sales team of 10, 15, 20 people and just let them hit the streets. You can't, that doesn't work anymore. If you went with that investment thesis to software or tech, you'd be laughed out of the room. Yes, right? you would. So that's Absolutely. essentially what, what we do. And then I'd say the, the state of med tech is really our flywheel. Um, it's our flywheel for uh, finding early stage companies to help, when it, whether it's um, helping them fundraise. So Moon Surgical is our very first client. We help them fundraise. Um, great story because they raised about 80 mil uh, NVIDIA let their last round um, or commercialization. And so, you know, I think the state of MedTech is sort of this uh, the passion project that sort of became the flywheel of my my uh, company. And it's something that I'm I absolutely love doing, you know, That's great. so I love it. Love to hear about that success. So, you know, Clark started off with this something that I'm sure just really doesn't happen that often where sales doesn't respect marketing is that really possible it's possible and i'd say it happens like more often than not um you know let's let's start out with uh, you know maybe we can do a little backdating on, on the historical reasons why this has happened so you know we live in a very regulated industry so th if you think about pre-internet you know the most marketing you would ever do for a med tech company is like going to a conference right maybe some dinners and so our industry, like if you look at the the U.S. Uh, like U.S. Surgical, U.S. Surgical historically they hired nurses to start training physicians, and then they decided that was too expensive, and they said we should make salespeople trained as clinical people and have them in the operating room and teaching physicians. So that our industry was very sales driven, right? And so it started there, um, and. As marketing started to grow, marketing really kept focusing on product management, right? So our industry is only one of the few ones where product rolls up into marketing. Like in tech and SaaS, there's no such thing. Marketing is marketing. Product is a separate thing. Yep. So enter the 2000s, um, you know, you had a company like Intuitive Surgical, which you can, you, you know, and I, I'm going to have some of them on my show, some of the early leaders at Intuitive, their, their, their commercial officers, sales leaders, they all say the same, which is it is a marketing-led organization, in which case they had people who had a sales background or a really aggressive commercial background telling the salespeople, this is the strategy that we're going to do, so on and so forth, okay? Now, internet comes around, things have changed, right? Um, and so it's not enough just to walk into an account and sell. Like, you know, the sales process for anything, including buying a random gizmo, has become more complicated you can't just market through one channel anymore even if you like if i'm selling this wallet i don't just sell this i don't just market on instagram because buyer journeys become more complex 
So as a result of that, marketing has had increasing demands on it. And mm -hmm. sales has been time and time again, let down by marketing, because what marketing does is again, these are for, for all for all intents and purposes, most of them, no offense, there's no offenses, are people who have been trained in, 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 in products, right? And so they do marketing as a hobby a couple of times a year when they go to a conference or they do a dinner event, right? And they give like warm leads off to sales, sales waste their time and they realize these are bad leads. Or there are salespeople who got promoted into marketing and no offense to salespeople, but like most salespeople were not trained to think strategically. They're usually very, very tactical. And so all these changes in the consumer and enterprise markets happened so fast in the last 10 years, our industry hasn't been able to keep up. And so as a result, most salespeople and sales organizations don't really respect marketing that much because they see marketing as a service arm. It's like, hey, we want to go to this conference. We want these brochures, et cetera. They do, they do no sales org or, or, or sales rep in our industry. It's very rare. We'll say, man, I crushed this quarter. I closed a lot of deals. Thank God for marketing. It's usually sales is like, yeah, we got to give some love to marketing because they work hard. They do like arts and crafts for us. That was it. And I'm not saying everybody, but a large majority of them. And I and when I pull people like salespeople on Instagram and on my LinkedIn, this is the general sentiment. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, it's the the industry is built for it, and it's it can become so siloed that there is actually like disdain between the two parts of the organization that actually reduce the potential effectiveness of both sides. Because if you're spending exactly. energy screaming at one and screaming at the other, you know, sales saying marketing never gives us anything usable and marketing goes, sales never uses any of the stuff we make. Exactly. Exactly. Zed. And look, like, look, I, you know, I'm going to beat up on the marketers, but let me beat up a little bit on sales. So on the sales end, Salespeople are not sophisticated enough when it comes to how they prospect, how they sell. And again, I'm this is majority of them. For everyone, damn good medical sales uh, rep or seller, there's a bunch of I have to say it's worthless ones where they'll complain and they're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not growing my territory or I'm not getting deals. And it's like, well, it's because I need this one thing. <laughs> and and when I was a marketer, for the marketers listener listening, here's the trick: when sales comes to you and they say, we need a new deck. We need this video and everything. Your response is like, okay, got it. You know what? I'm going to put everything else on pause. We're going to make this one thing. So when I make this one thing, you're telling me you're going to get more deals, right? <laughs> that usually ends the conversation. And when sales want something, they're not that data-driven, nor do they, nor are they that logical. A lot of times what ends up happening is that sales will come asking for something anecdotally, and they can't explain why they need it. Aside from the fact that they, they, we just need it. And sales is, can be very selfish, they don't think about like, how is this going to help the organization as a whole? Like, this is the problem with our industry, which is the sales reps, a lot of times, it's not a team sport, even on the same like company, you know? And the and collaboration so these, sometimes makes it worse because sales will yeah, ask absolutely. for the thing anecdotally and then marketing will give it to them. And now we're training, ask for anecdotal stuff, marketing, do the work. And now you're just a, a line order cook. It's like, I'll have two eggs over easy. Okay, here you go. And marketing yeah, exactly. into that that role, a hundred percent. And then, you know, marketing I think is is spread very thin. So they they have a lot of things they're doing. So again, like doing product management and development is not easy. You know, KOL development, all these things are are really hard. You know, and so this is why I think our industry has to be better about using 
uh, different tools. They have to be good about using different strategies. And then more importantly, they got to think more collaboratively, co collaboratively on the revenue side. This is why for my podcast, Clary is a sponsor. Clary is a, is a software company that bolts onto Salesforce. They use AI to essentially pull out predictive revenue and insights and also automate data in so that sales and marketing can look at a dashboard and objectively come to some conclusions as to where you should spend time and resources versus every quarter, and I'm talking early stage companies most of the time and startups, every quarter, the VP of sales or sales is like, hey, we need some decks on what's going on with deals and, you know, the data and everything and marketing puts together and like, you know, and it's just like reporting these or they do a, they do a deal rep or a deal review and like a sales rep will go up and they'll report the weather like, oh, this is what's going on with my deal. Like I had a really good conversation, blah, blah, blah. And we got another meeting, you know, so like it's it's a it's a virtuous cycle of like scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of like how sophisticated we are about this commercial stuff. Do you feel like any of this is potentially a symptom of a marketing industry that has grown up in an unmeasured world and really been put in a position where the belief is their value can't be measured and they turn into a necessary evil as opposed to a lever to drive specific outcome? A hundred percent. No, I think, I think that's very, that's, that's very well put because, you know, um, it, to be quite fair, like SAS and tech, you know, brags about how data driven they are. Well, that's because they were born out of that. Like at Google, you know, because of the way things run, like if you're a product manager or a marketing person at Google and you want to change the color of something, like you have to have run, um, you know, a, a test you know, over a certain period of time and sh like show objectively why we should change that. Like there's no opinion allowed. Um, and I think that there are some things that opinion should be allowed. There's some things that you cannot directly correlate or measure. Like, for example, up until like a few months ago, it's kind of hard to correlate and measure the, the ROI of my podcast, right? But this is where you become a little bit more sophisticated about how you look at the, the buyer journey, right? Um, and so in some places, you got to use quantitative data to come up with some objective reasons as to why you should or should not do something. Other side, you should use qualitative data, right? Maybe you don't have a lot of data, but there's some qualitative indicators, right? And again, we can get onto a whole tangent on here, but this also includes like, you know, and, and again, uh, most of the marketers who are listening to this, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Like most marketers, if you ask them, what do you think are the leading indicators of a deal that's going to be good? And what are the lagging indicators? They never thought about that, right? You know, and so in order for us to gain, and at least in my, this is the first time I'm, you know, when I come on the show, it's like therapy, you know, I get to vent to you guys, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share something from my past. When I was um, a sales rep and I became a marketing manager, I, I was really um, self-conscious because I was like, man, I was only a rep for like a couple years and now I'm expected to gain the respect of some of these reps and territory managers and regional uh, salespeople who've been doing this for 10, 15 years. Like, I don't have that sales experience. So I was like, how can I gain the respect? The way I was able to gain respect is to know marketing 10 times better than them and actually come to them with data and educate them. Guys, look, I know you guys want to do this. You know, for example, we used to do these labs at Missouri Robotics. And so I actually stratified the number of physicians each territory was getting to labs, the conversion rate to it and everything. And then I was able to objectively say, hey, look, 
here are the here are the gating items that we're going to put in place before you send a surgeon to a lab. Just because your surgeon wants to go to a lab, it's not not a yes, right? Yep. And so most marketers are not willing to go through this pain and exercise of improving themselves because they're not being expected to do that, you know. And then they complain about sales all the time, and you know this becomes like a virtuous cycle of like nonsense. You know, there's. Some things that I've talked a lot about in the past and different different podcasts, I'm sure we've discussed on the podcast, but you mentioned the difference between quantitative and qualitative, right? We, we call it common sense measurement. Yes, you want to track all of the leading indicators leading to the actual result that you're looking for, but you literally cannot track everything, right? Some people call it, you know, the, a dark funnel. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of terms in the marketing world being thrown around as to what that sort of looks like, right? For instance, you mentioned your podcast. You can't, there's not a tool out there. There's no MarTech that actually draw, can tell you specifically every single little piece of revenue coming into your world and where it came from because some, or, you know, say it's first touch attribution that it, they can't track that it came from the podcast because the podcast is out there. It's wild, right? There's just not something to track it, but you can probably tell that when you have certain topics or certain guests or say you fell off of fresh episodes for a month or something like that, because you were on vacation and things dropped, that's common sense measurement. I can start to tell that my revenue is tied into, and these other pieces that I can track, say maybe Google clicks or whatever is all driven by people hearing me talk on this podcast and the different forms it takes. Right. And 100%. so layering in that common sense measurement, the qualitative, right to the quantitative is super key and gets missed a lot. And it gets missed because you can't put it on a screenshot in a board presentation or, you know, a QBR or whatever it may be. Right. A hundred percent. No, and I feel like that's a, a big piece that people are, they don't know how to verbalize the impact certain things are making. So they don't even look for it. And there's no vendor that can, you know, they can hire to do it or whatever. Right. There's not a piece of tech they can stack to do it. And so it's, let's not worry about it. I feel like that's an issue. No, a hundred percent. I mean, they can hire, they can hire my company to help them with, that. but like, like just look, let's look at the, look, I'll give a freebie and this big shout out to my, to my good friend, Chris Walker, who by the way, came yeah. from Mac device before he became like a huge thing in SAS. Yeah. You know, one of the things that he came up with, which I think is very smart is like to track, you know, dark funnel, dark social um, on your lead forms, have a blank text box that just says, how did you hear about us? Without any qualifiers. Some companies, they do this and they put a, they list out the channels. Yeah. Don't do that. Literally just free text box. And like for me, you know, a couple of years ago for my course, we did a little over a quarter mil uh, just on revenue in the course. That made me feel really good. Ad spend on that. I think our return on ad spend was like four. No, no, no. Four, yeah. 4.8 4. 8 X on that. Right. So every dollar we spent, we got 4.8 back. Really happy about that. Until I started looking not only at the data, but the qualitative data. Every lead that came in who wanted to join the course, this is from two years ago, and what my salesperson talked to, we looked and said, like, well, how did they find out about us? And guess what? Even though I felt really good about that ad spend, um, it turns out like I think 88% of the revenue came from people organically. It just so happened that the ad captured that lead. Yeah. But when we when we had the lead fill fill out that form, or my salesperson and myself talked, we always said, like, how, how did you find out about me? It was always something organic. And so 
I shifted my my strategy, even though I felt, man, I felt so smart running ads and everything. I was like, apparently I'm not very good at this. Well, it's <laughs> and it's not even that I'm not good at it. It was just that the demand was coming from something somewhere else. And, you know, I've reduced my ad spend. So now I see ads fulfilling a different bucket. I don't look on return on ad spend anymore. I just look on at ads as a way to distribute the content I want people to see anyways. And that's how my yeah. business works, you know? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because that dark funnel or common sense measurement, like Clark mentioned, people are scared of it. They're scared to take a stand for it in the organization, which then limits what things they can do, which adds to this reasoning as to why sales may not respect marketing. Yeah, I'm curious, you did that post about it um, any interesting feedback from when you, Oh yeah, let's talk about that. So, so for context, um, the post I, I put was controversial opinion, med reps hate marketing. And I'll read the post and then, you know, uh, th there's a lot of, uh, supportive comments actually. Yeah. All the comments that I'm reading here, like they're pretty much in, in agreement with me, except I got one message from somebody, uh, a director of marketing I'm going to read. So the post was pretty much this that most med tech marketing isn't really marketing. Marketing is doing, in my definition, sales at scale by tapping into existing marketing desires, channeling them towards a product or service and getting them into pipeline. In med tech, these are experts in product management, KL development, events, so on and so forth. Again, important stuff. But they never really carried the bag. They don't understand sales, and they don't—they don't have any interest. There, there are companies I've heard of where the marketers never went on a field ride with sales, which is unbelievable to me, right? And so they don't think about how do we own and contribute to revenue? How do we own co-own deals with 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 sales? How do we work collaboratively with them? So, like, if a sales rep has a deal in pipeline, what do we do to start pushing that deal and increasing the velocity on it? So I got a message from a marketer um, who said that um, that I'm very misinformed on marketing's role in medical device, that I'm just reiterating the same stereotypes that could easily be said about sales, and that I missed a solid opportunity to bring camps together versus making them farther, farther apart. And the last thing he said, let's see, he said, um, I should do some research on the number of salespeople who excel in marketing. I've tried multiple times, and they've been failures. There's been a handful that succeed, and they're relatively young in their sales career. In terms of traditional product management, or what I refer to as product management, he he doesn't disagree with me on these comments. He's like, but he said, and I'll end with this, and I'll I'll riff on this. He's like, this is a pretty big slap in the face uh, post to many marketing people who work their ass off to support sales, even when they don't know what they need, except complain about the lack of marketing support. Incredible scapegoat for missed sales numbers and consistent in almost every big org. So let's start with what he's right about. He is absolutely right that a lot of salespeople are not cut out for marketing. Sorry, salespeople, sure. I'm just gonna say it. Like marketing, <laughs> you know, marketing is, is um, uh, way is, harder than somebody that hasn't ever touched it feels yeah. like it should be. It's, well, and it's much it's, tougher. It's very strategic. It's, yeah. it's at a higher scale, higher level. And so most salespeople, they're not trained to do that. Salespeople are, are, are strategic, but they're, they're, they have to focus more tactically and regionally. Right. So, so I agree. I agree with them on that. Now, was this post a slap in the face of many marketing people? Absolutely. 
I'm glad it was. I hope I hope it 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 pissed off a lot of marketing people because I started my company, and this is why I I love your podcast. This is why you you know the the three of us we all see eye to eye. I started my company not to perpetuate the nonsense and low standards this industry has for sales and marketing. I started my company to change it, and. As as we we've always talked about, you know, psychology on the shows and everything. When it comes to change, even when it's good change, right? People don't like it. They're going to go kicking and screaming into it. And so to push change and like, as people they love to say, I love challenging the status quo. You know, it's it's intense. People are going to fight you. They're going to like throw rocks at you. They're going to insult you. They're going to do all these things. I'm the best person, I think to serve as a catalyst in doing this. And again, I'm not going to do this by myself. That's why I partner up with, with organizations like yours. I find partners like Clary. You know, so I'm one piece to a bigger puzzle of how do we change this industry? Because I, I hate to say it, I've spoken to people who left the industry who are in tech and SaaS and everything, and I'll quote them, and I agree with them, is that a lot of times when it comes to talent in our industry, like commercial talent and everything, it's really scraping bottom of the barrel. You know, hate to say it. But compare, compare compare our commercial processes to like a, a software company, and it's like it's laughable. Like think about it: this your your investor coming to medtech, like, hey, let's let's invest in some medtech companies. What's your commercial strategy? Well, I'll tell you what: we're gonna find a, a VP who's been in this uh, specific specialty of cardiology for like 15, 20 years. They got they got a book of business. They know who to go sell to. They're gonna hire some of their buddies. Maybe they'll hire. We'll, we'll get a recruiter, hire some other people, and we're gonna hit the street. And at the end of the year, um, we'll see who did well. And those who did well, will uh, you know, they'll keep on going. Who's those who didn't do well? Well, it's probably just because they had a bad target. We're gonna we're gonna give them another year. <laughs> Sounds like a winner. Yeah, yeah. And and so and so you know, this is why like, you know, medtech is not gonna have the valuations and multiples that software is. But I'll tell you what, you know, it's a great way to to increase your valuation, decrease your costs. You know, find ways to to scale your commercial operations and do things in a methodical way and have a machine like uh, something that I don't think people talk enough about. We look at like a lot of these acquisitions that happen. They're also when an acquisition happened, it's not just acquiring the product and the customer base. There's a part of it. It's like we want to we want to acquire like a commercial machine a model that's going to fit into our organization. And when you have a model, you're like, yeah, look, we know what what our cost per meetings are, you know, cost per lead. We have this process laid in and everything. It's like, oh, this makes sense. So like we can take this and plug it into our system or plug our salespeople in and like we can make more money. <laughs> you know? What a what a what a concept. Well it's really de-risking it, right? I mean when you're thinking about investment, part of that is, you know, what is your level of, you know, how risk adverse are you? And if you are really thinking about pulling a system in for it to scale, that's about de-risking it. And that's about having a reliable system to generate an outcome based on driving meetings, driving sales, it being predictable, you being able to call a number for next quarter and you hit it, you know, you don't overshoot it, you don't undershoot it, you nail it. Like that's, that's what you're talking about is the, the marketing working with sales to actually drive an outcome. So that sales rep does say, Man, I hit my number because of what marketing helped me achieve. Exactly. Exactly. And 
you know, look, like I'm not an Oracle. I don't have the answers to everything, but we have to try, you know, like some of these things, you know, I'll give you a great example. There's not a single person in our industry who I will talk to and they'll disagree with the fact that physicians are on social media. They're active on LinkedIn. But yet when I go look at like even large companies, I go and see like, are they running any ads? Because by the way, on LinkedIn, if you go on desktop, you can see, just go to the company's page, click post and look to the far right. It says ads, click and see what ads are running. A lot of companies aren't running any ads. If they're not running ads on LinkedIn, I guarantee you they're not running any ads anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And they spend so much money. Like, like for example, you know, I'm talking to some of the larger, um, uh, while I'm a startup guy, like, you know, what I'll tell you, like what, what helps pay the bills are, are the, some of these larger companies. Right. And I'm talking to, a, a let's, we'll say a fortune 500 company, uh, later tomorrow where one of my talks to them, I went to TCT and I went by their booth and they had these great presentations and I'm like, man, this costs a lot of money. I was like, and they're recording it. And I'm like, what are you guys doing with these? They're like, well, putting them on our website. I'm like, great. How are you guaranteeing that people are going to see these things? Like, you know, so it's like, if you're going to spend this money on like these videos and, and these, you know, all these, all this great content, like, shouldn't there be a strategy to discuss how do we distribute this? You know, including again, look at, let's look at, let's look at the zeitgeist of what's going on in the world. Um, you guys know Andrew Huberman? You, you, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. you definitely know Andrew Huberman. Yeah. So Andrew Huberman, I, I love his show. And it just hit me the other day because it was funny because I was, I was talking about how great of a medium podcasting is. I was like, wow, I've actually never listened to a single Andrew Huberman episode. How is it that I'm a fan of him? And it's because I consume and learn a lot from his short form content. So in, in all these like webinars, dinner presentation, everything, there's always a money slide where like marketing is like, man, when they hit the slide, this is, this drives home point. I'm like, why do you want to leave it up to chance that a, a clinician is going to watch this thing and they're going to pay, pay attention all the way to this one part. I'm like, why isn't there some high, highly engaging clip that can be made out of that? Which by the way, like, look, I'm not a fortune 500 company. I make highly engaging animated clips for every single my, one of my episodes. And I don't do it in house. Like I pay a guy to do it. And like, I can afford to do that. <laughs> you know, like it, it, you know, these are the things that I want to see from companies. And, and to be fair, like I beat up on the industry. Let's talk about companies who are doing a great job. Um, and again, you know, shameless uh, uh, plug. Like they're they they are for my first client, and they they started from day one with me. Moon Surgical raised a lot of money. Great physician engagement. Why? I'm and I'm not right now. I just got reengaged with them, but the last two years, they took what I taught them and they applied it on social media. Um, some other companies, Petrero Medical, have have done really well. Um, SI Bone, I see, starting to do some some really cool stuff. Um, trying to trying to think uh see and it sucks that i have to think this hard i should i wish i should come up with like a few off the top of my head you know and, and you know and some like you know i don't know basic stuff like look j and j has an ad running uh and i took a screenshot of this for their um one of their threaded sutures and i've seen like physicians comment like how much they love those sutures and everything and Change is going to, some marketer is going to give me some BS like, oh, legal is not going to allow me. It, will it kill them to have somebody run the J&J account just to reply back and just say, hey, thank you so much. We appreciate we, that that you enjoy the sutures or just, you know, like some basic stuff, man, you know?
it's, so, it's wild, but it, it shows you how much opportunity the opportunity there is for those who are willing. Yeah. And you know what, Zed, I, something I want to point out, one of the, cause I try and understand like why, right? Like, okay, I complain about the industry. I'm frustrated, but why? And I think one of the reasons why most marketers don't do this, it's not sexy. What most marketers want to do is, is what like, uh, like as an example, uh, he's my good friend and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. Um, like Jeff Alvarez, who's the chief strategy officer at moon, Jeff Alvarez, when he was at Oris medical was one of the guys who went to the board and said, Hey, you know, we're focused. This robot is focused on this part of the body, but in terms of a market size valuation company, all these different things, here's my reasoning. We should pivot and focus on the lungs and biopsies. So every marketer wants to have that like multi-billion dollar pivot of the product. This is the area we're focusing on everything. If you focus on like helping salespeople with deals and everything, yeah, you're going to get a lot of praise, but it's not sexy. And and our and, and the people in our industry, again, I hate to say it, I'm, I'm really generalizing here, but sometimes I feel like they are very stuffy, buttoned up, like, you know, I want to go get my MBA at Kellogg. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in a boardroom. Like it's, it's the same kind of attitude you, you see sometimes with people who come out of the consulting industry from like McKinsey and stuff. It's just like, I want to do like fancy high level work. Like I'm too good to do this. That's, that's the attitude I get from marketing. And again, this is like sales. This is a great analogy. I, I don't know why I never thought of this. Sales in our industry, they're like, they're like blue collar people and marketing is like, really upper class white collar people and they just hate each other because sales just feels like they're working all the time they're killing themselves it's like yeah maybe i'm not doing fancy stuff like this but like what i'm doing is keeping all this afloat and the and marketing is like well we're gonna come down from our towers from like for like once a quarter you know so i told you this, these episodes are like therapy for me yeah no it's just like once a month we only <laughs> have to we don't have to publish them <laughs> There may be another aspect to this. So what's interesting is I'm curious, and it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong from the research we've done, but see if you can guess the number one reason people put off getting a knee replacement, even though they absolutely need it. Ooh, I don't know, but quick, quick, I gotta do a quick plug. This is why I love uh, what you, what you guys do and trackable med, because you guys are so good at like pulling these fascinating data shameless shameless request i hope in some time in the future you guys put out like more like of like reports on this stuff because right. you, you guys do such a good job with it sorry but Thank yeah you. no appreciate what, it yeah what is it so what it is is the person is currently in pain right uh -huh. they know they need the knee replacement the knee replacement is going to take time and they have a recovery that's going to be painful and their number one fear is at the end of all of that there is no change and they have no one to tell them realistically that you can expect a change because the way practices are set up, it's more like they're putting the decision on the patient and, you know, they're talking about, you know, what you can expect. And so there might be a scenario where there are marketers who love the idea of the shift you're talking about. And they might be in a position like that knee replacement patient that. They're just a little worried that they're going to go through the pain. They're going to go through the, the bog down. And at the end, nothing's going to be different. I think you're absolutely right. And again, like this is, this goes back to like classic behavior change models, which is 
um, one of the things I think that keeps people from changing behavior is that their belief that they're gonna they're gonna be able to achieve that outcome, right? This is why you know the the supplement interest industry is like multi multi billions, and like the gym industry not as much because like supplements like oh like it's gonna be very easy, you know. And I I think you're absolutely right. My my thing is just like they know they know what they're doing now does not work. Even though like no one's going to criticize you for like I don't know like. A marketing manager will will likely not get uh, the same backlash for let's say spending ten thousand dollars extra for some for sponsoring I don't know like hotel room key branding at a conference versus like ten thousand dollar like social campaign, you know. And I think like this is in part why like for me, like I started my podcast and I have my my show and everything, so I'm trying to create like a large fire to attract those marketers who were, you know, essentially they're, they're who I was like many years ago where I was young enough and maybe even dumb enough to say like, man, this actually, none of this stuff makes sense or works. I'm going to try and like do something different. And in that process, 100% stuff is not going to work. Things will blow up in your face. You're going to have tough conversations. Like, but I think like one of the greatest skills that somebody can develop is to just develop the skill of not caring and not being and not being embarrassed mm -hmm. right like yep. i used to get embarrassed very easily and then that's part of the reason why i started taking on social media because i was like man this is a great way for me to just numb that part of mm -hmm. me where i'm not afraid of public failure yep you know it's your it's your version of tim ferris laying you know telling everybody to lay down in a coffee shop say four oh yeah that's right? a great point yeah, yeah, yeah i forgot about that yeah you're absolutely yeah a hundred percent you know I, you know, you, you're saying it's not working. It doesn't work. I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. It does work. What, what does it work? What? You, marketing today, if you will, the, the broad oh, terms that you're talking about. I'm not in disagreement with you though. I just want to clarify it works. It's just the accepted level of working. Right. Mm. And that that's where I feel like a lot of folks can kind of let themselves off the hook right now. But look, yeah. at the same time, you've got a lot of marketers out there that are listening right now. And it's it's also, you know, self-interest. I mean, they've got to, you, you, if you're going out and you're putting a new money line on the table, for instance, right? That hasn't been budgeted before and that's going to draw some new scrutiny. What if it doesn't deliver to everybody's expectations versus mm -hmm. the expectations that maybe don't really exist in terms of driving actual revenue for that key card promotion, but it makes everybody feel really good because we did it, right? Uh, totally. And, and Clark, look, I, I want to, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to say something because uh, I was accused of being a guy who was like anti-traditional marketing or anything. I'm actually not <laughs> like, I'm very, I, I know look, you're not. look in my business, which is a digital business. I'm, I go to conferences. I'm a, I love conferences. My biggest thing is just like, it just look, what are we trying to do with our customers? Are we telling a surgeon to completely change the way they practice medicine? No, we're telling them to augment their practice to be better. It's the same thing with sales and marketing, which is like, hey, go to the conference. You should absolutely do dinner symposium. I'm a big, I am so big on in-person selling because there's a different energy. But how do you augment those practices? Like, okay, you're going to have a booth at a conference. What can you do digitally to create some awareness two weeks ahead of time? What do you, what ads do you run at the conference to geotarget that conference hall 
and circulate. So somebody's on their phone, they're in between sessions and they see something from your from your company on Twitter or LinkedIn, because that they're all logging on to to engage with each other and they say, Oh, like let me go buy that booth. You know what I mean? Or why not be in front of them when they're actually in some sort of pipeline or exactly. prospecting track? There's there's a lot of pieces and there's some tactical things you can do in a broader strategy that folks just don't try. Or here's another thing I've witnessed a lot and I love your opinion on it from, from your chair is, hey, well, we're going to do you know whatever different. Let's say it's some sort of direct to consumer. We're, we're doing direct to consumer and it's not really doing anything. We, we did it or we're doing it, but they're doing it to do the thing, not with some specific purpose and very tactical uh, application behind the broader strategy. For instance, I've got a headcount of, you know, 150 sales reps or two, you know, 25 reps or two reps, right? And they are trying to knock on the door of this specific customer segment. To your point, kind of coming full circle from something earlier, I've also got this key opinion leader content that is killer. And it is messaging that we believe in. Well, why don't I do everything I can with some dollars I've got to put that in front of the right people so that it shortens the time frame of them saying, yeah, I'll meet with my sales rep or whoever it may be, right? I, I, I'm just totally spitballing here, but as opposed to, well, we're gonna run some Google ads <laughs> and we're doing direct to consumer or whatever terminology, you know, said marketer wants to use for it. it that, that's the difference I see. I see some people kind of taking some swings, but maybe they're, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I come from sales, so I'll use this term affectionately, knuckle jogger sales reps, right? Uh, that got into a marketing position. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll put it back on sales. And yeah. they don't understand, they're not looking at the sophistication they can use to be very, very intentional with what they're doing. Yeah. And like, look, let, let's cover that side. Cause there's, there's also another problem in the industry where you have marketing people who there's nothing wrong because I was one of those people. Um, but there's a way to do it, which is they are learning as they go. And I'll, I'll use a great example of this account-based marketing. That's, you know, so account-based marketing essentially is a way where you target a specific account, you develop marketing collateral yeah. campaigns just for that account, just so people understand what that is to do ABM. It is a very high level function and strategy. Like you have to have collaboration with sales. Like it is not yeah. easy to do. And I've, heard a couple of times where a CEO calls me and they're like, Hey, we hired a marketer. We hired this guy, you know, from Metro. It's usually, it's always like somebody who worked at Medtronic or J&J who's going to be in a startup. And they're like, Oh, I can do ABM. And I'm like, well, how do they define it? They define it the wrong way. And they're like, Oh, you know, their, their timeline for this is like, uh, like four, four to six months. I was like, you're not going to do anything in four to six. What are you talking about? So the other side of it is like, when you do new things, Think of it like this for the marketers listening and sales reps. You have to do smaller things with like a little bit lower expectations before you get to the big transformative things. Look, our industry on a macro side learned this the hard way. Yeah, I think Joe, um, oh God, I, I forgot his name. The CEO of Baxter covered this, which is no more transformative deals. Like we're all doing core tuck-in deals, 500 mil or less. So we, big, we do a big transformative deal. Sorry, J&J. They they blew what five six billion dollars on the Oris acquisition. Great technology, and they they got their clocks clean by Intuitive because that's a that's a very very difficult transition. So to bring that back to marketing, rather than going for ABM and doing these like really sophisticated complicated things and saying like we can do this in a short timeline, figure out some smaller things to give you some 
qualitative wins. Because I think when you get qualitative data, for example, you know, I'm making this up, set up a uh, like an online live stream, like or a webinar, and just say, hey, we're not trying to get like a bunch of people to watch it. Like, let's see if we can qualitatively get some like key people to register from this, see if there's an interest there and sort of build from that. Be really reasonable with your expectations because the other side is that if you mess this up, right? And, and it, failures will happen, right? But if you don't set the right expectations, not only is this leaving a bad taste in the CEO's mouth, the board is privy to this as well. And those board members go sit on the other boards of other companies. And yeah. anytime this comes up, they're gonna be like, no, don't do it. We tried it. This other company is a failure. Right. Yeah. So this, this this whole process and 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 kind of bring this all together. This is why I, I love coming on the show. I'm trying to talk about these things because our industry, from a sales and marketing standpoint, for a long time, with the exception of the fact that like you guys have been around a lot longer than my podcast. I love your guys' show. All of our people are kind of like our customers where they're like so close cloaked. They always feel like somebody's about to steal their lunch and they do not <laughs> want to talk about anything. Like, why is there not a med tech marketing summit for our industry or like a med tech sales? You know, me and the mad device rep, we set up a discord channel because people kept asking for it. We set it up and man, it is so hard to get reps just to like talk and share with each other because the way they see it, even within companies like, how's this going to help me? Like wow, this person yeah. is going to take what I came up with. Like that, it's such a common thing in our industry. And I think this is goes back to the silos and all these things, you know? Yeah. Cause to your point that you made a while ago, I, I've seen some really amazing uh, tools and strategy laid out from marketing where you know, a bunch of the sale of a particular sales force didn't even understand or take the attempt to try to leverage it. They're just going to go knock on a door, right? And not use it in in the field, so it, it it goes it cuts both ways. It's a double edged sword for sure. Yeah, and again, like my biggest thing is just I, I want to see the industry try new things, do things a little bit differently. I think little by little we're chipping away from it. Just like from a persuasion standpoint, great way to uh, like kill something is just to publicly make fun of it enough. And so I, I, there's a part of me where I feel like, and I think I need, I'm going to do more of it this year, especially with the post I just did. If I publicly create enough content making fun of these things, so people are going to start changing little by little. You know, it's kind of like the Dilbert principle, you know? Yep. So, but we'll see. Love we'll it. see. Omar, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm sure you're cool if people reach out to you through LinkedIn. What else would you like our audience to do? Uh, I would like them to... First, go uh, subscribe and review my show, and then subscribe and review the medical sales podcast. Because now I'm in competition. No, no, I'm just joking. No, I would look. I would. What I would love uh, from your audience because we do have a medical sales like series on our on our show. We do Presence Club. I would love for your audience, um, and I think we share a lot of same listeners. Reach out to me. Give me some ideas. What are some things that you guys want to learn more about? Um, I'm always trying to put out not just podcast content, but like written form content, and just help make things better. Um, but then more importantly, like all, all in all seriousness, like if you're a listener of the show and you haven't like subscribed and write, written them a review, like shame on you, like take one second, hit the subscribe button and then go right. Just give a five-star review because think of it like this, like a lot of people are trying to get in this industry and they need access to content. Like this is the other side of it where I see like your show, my show, all these other shows were collaborative. We got to make this industry exciting and great because we're competing with tech and SaaS and other industries for top talent, Absolutely. you know? 
So, and you know, what we do is pretty important because it deals with patients' lives, not some like like reverse algorithm for nonsense. You know, one thing's for certain: all of us will end up being a patient of some sort. So, the better we can help make our professional world, it's probably going to have some karma back to us a little bit, right? A hundred percent. And yeah. last thing, I'll just say, just to make things kind of like on an exciting note. Based on the fact that big tech is is moving heavy into medica uh, into medicine, um, there's something happening on a consumer level. So aside from Andrew Huberman and Peter Tia talking a lot about longevity and stuff, Joe Rogan's show because of the increase of UFC, it I feel like every other uh, MMA episode they do, they're talking about orthopedics, like they're yeah. talking about implants and, and they haven't they talk mentioned a lot about spine lately yeah, they talk a lot about spine yeah, yeah. so th so they're talking more and more about it and they talk about like the technology behind everything recently um the guy who's a former striker rep was on the show and he kind of badmouthed industry that was that was a little controversial but i i agree with some of the things he said um but the point is that there's more public interest and awareness for what we do and i think there's a great opportunity for us to bring in the best minds more money like man I, i'm tired of seeing these stupid nonsense tech startups like raise 50 100 million dollars i want to see some of these tech investors start throwing some money into medicine you know i love it well thanks again omar for joining us uh visit medicalsalesaccelerator.com when you get there you will see our productized offerings for the medical device industry that Trackable Med can help you with. And also there's a link to the podcast. You can also sign up for uh, email and other exciting things. If you found value in today's episode, do a few things for me. Follow Omar's advice and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Then go to the, arrow, the square with the arrow at the top. Send it to your friends, your family, your mom and your daddy. Greatly appreciate it. Omar, it's always a pleasure. Great to see you again, buddy. Make it a great week, everybody. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.